Being described as stupid, is there anything worse? What are you supposed to do with that? Nothing, except sit there feeling shame and failure. I'm David Jays, and this is Why Dance Matters, the Royal Academy of Dance podcast. My guest today is the hip-hop choreographer, dancer and teacher, Yami Loffenberg, also known as Rowdy. As that name suggests, she has a wonderfully front-foot, engaged presence. But growing up in Sweden, her teachers called her stupid because she struggled with maths. Only later did Yami realise she had dyscalculia, a deep-seated difficulty in understanding numbers. And only later still did she realise that dance was a way of proving that she wasn't stupid. She wasn't lazy, but instead was a rare talent. Today, Yami follows the motto, Let's Edutain. Education and entertainment dancing hand in hand. She's done a lot with the RAD's Step Into Dance programme, which works in schools around London and the southeast of England. And I'm really interested to hear if she has an eye for young people who might be struggling in school and a sense of how to reach them. It promises to be a really illuminating conversation. Will it also be rowdy? Let's find out. So, Yami Loffenberg, welcome to Why Dance Matters. And to give you your full nom de dance, it's Yami Rowdy Loffenberg, which is just fantastic. <laughs> you do not get ballerinas who are known as Margot Rowdy Fontaine. So, no, I mean, there should be more of it, I, I, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. <laughs> but where did Rowdy come from? How did that start? When I moved to England, I was a very young and naive wanting to become a famous dancer behind Missy Elliott. I started going into the hip hop scene, the underground hip hop scene, a lot of b-boys and breaking the industry. It's known for battling circuits and because when I was doing it, it wasn't a lot of girls going into the circles. We call it ciphers. And it wasn't a lot of girls going in, but I felt like I had to prove something because I wasn't from England. I was out of town. It was just, I just felt I had a lot to prove and show that I wasn't scared of no boys. <laughs> and so I would go into the circle and be really overly confident and very cocky and very self-assured. I mean, this was all a facade, but I was very <laughs> sure of myself and I would be in everyone's faces and I would point at people and I would call them out and battle them. The rumors start spreading about this girl that was very rowdy and was very over the top and would come in and cause a ruckus and, you know, thinking she's all that and realizing that it was me they were talking about. <laughs> and, um, it, you know, straight away I started to get really self-conscious because, like I said, it wasn't a lot of girls doing it and I stood out for being that cocky girl. I just felt like, oh my God, like, am I doing something wrong? And I think as well, being in a male dominated industry, that made me feel 
small. But then I thought to myself, you know what, I haven't come all the way here to another country to feel small and for people to push me down. I decided to take on the name as a badge of honor and decide, you know what, if you think I'm too much, if you think I'm taking up too much space and I'm too rowdy, then yeah, I am rowdy and I'm going to be rowdy wherever I go and you can't tell me nothing. So yeah, that's how the name came about. Oh, wow. And now do you feel that rowdy... Is it a sort of a superhero cloak that you can slip on and be that person? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Rowdy is my Sasha Fierce to my Beyonce. I mean, <laughs> Rowdy has always been part of me, my persona. Growing up, I got subjected to a lot of racism, a lot of bullying and a lot of bad things. And so there was always in sort of an inner warrior spirit that had that carried me through life. And Rowdy was always there to take over when Yami basically couldn't. And it felt like Rowdy just manifested itself more and more as I grew older. And I guess in the battle scene and the dance industry, Rowdy was the one who would perform. Rowdy would be the one who taught the dance classes or anything like that because it was the more confident, self-assured person. And then I think as I grew older, I realized that actually Rowdy is not a, a character. It's actually me and it's who I am. And it started to become more of a person that I could actually get to see that I I didn't have to like pretend I was someone else it was actually a part of me that I could easily access when and I needed to I love that I kind of get the sense that it's almost your incredible hulk alter ego yeah Every so often you'll be in a situation you'll look round, and suddenly you're 10 foot tall and you're green and you're ready to go absolutely absolutely yeah I think we all have two personalities in our bodies and some people choose to let them out. Some people choose to let the Hulk out and some people choose to just be Banner. I think we all have those, but I think it's how we manifest that and how we develop that in a warrior spirit that we all have. And I just choose to make mine times 10. And also when I teach, you know, I often give people nicknames. We call it street names in hip hop. Or I would notice something about a kid that I think, oh, you're really smiley. Like your name will be like smiley and just your superpower. And I always try to draw out that in people because I do believe that we all have it. That is such a lovely thing to do, to help people access their hidden superpower, even in a Yeah, absolutely. I think that's brilliant. When I read about your school days, Yummy, they don't sound confident and rowdy. They sound (laughs) really not fun. You were born in Colombia, but you grew up in Sweden. And what was your experience of school? I grew up in Sweden in the 80s. I went to a very strict school, sort of like an elitist school where there was a mixture of kids, but it had like a badge of honour and they said that they produced well-educated kids. But the school itself was very old-fashioned. Um, they were still beating kids when I went to school and we had to curtsy the teacher and we had to pray every day and, you know, you couldn't have any coloured hair. I mean, people wasn't wearing coloured hair by then, but you couldn't colour your hair. You couldn't have shorts above the knees or skirts above the knees me and my brother were the only black kids in the whole school and there was a school about three to six hundred kids this was not an era where neurodiverse 
disabilities, anything like that was noticed or no help was given to anyone that was struggling. If you were struggling, you were definitely hidden and you were definitely not spoke about or they wouldn't want you to know that you were struggling in school. And so... I didn't understand, but I struggled from a very early age. I struggled in school when it came to anything mathematic, anything science-based, anything with measurements or anything like that. And um, as a young kid, most of the time you're just told, like, you're not working hard enough. You need to do your homework more and you just need to make much more of an effort in school. And I tried, like, I really tried and I went to school every single day. I didn't bunk school one single day. And I was very obedient in school. But I also was heavily bullied because of my colour. As you got older, the bullying got worse and physical. And so not only did I struggle because of my race, but I struggled because I was suffering in school in terms of learning. And I didn't understand why. I was very good at drawing. I was very good at PA. I was very good at writing stories. Anything creative, I excelled in. But I just couldn't, for the life of me, work out why I was struggling so much in maths. And then I think the last couple of years after failing so badly and still not understanding why I was struggling and being then bullied because I couldn't read an analog clock. And so I started getting bullied because I couldn't read a clock. It was quite obvious I was struggling with counting. I would count under the table on my fingers and I wouldn't get a single answer right on any test. And because this was an era where, oh, I have a you know disability, it was just like, oh, well, I'm clearly not bright enough. And so I would basically be called stupid. Kids would call me stupid. I didn't have the support from home. My brother was an A student. He was excellent in maths. He was excellent in all of the school things. So it was just basically I was not bright enough and I was classified as stupid at a very early age. I had a maths teacher who was very horrible to me and decided basically he was going to give me a book, a thick, thick book, like almost the size of a fist. And he basically every, uh, I think we had maths twice a week, every week he will say my name out loud in front of the whole class, make me stand up in front of the class and walk into the school library. And the school library was very old, very dusty and had a very old librarian in. And he said, you sit here and you will go through these maths exercises. That was it. There was no support. There was no help. There was no understanding. There was no care. It was just an utter embarrassment in front of my school friends. They wouldn't tell my parents I was struggling. When my parents asked, they would say, absolutely fine. There's no problem here. I would be fully aware that I'm struggling, but I wouldn't tell my parents either because I was ashamed that I was stupid, basically. I would sit there with a librarian who wouldn't really help me, and I would just paint. (laughs) I would just draw pictures in the book and because I couldn't solve any of the problems. So I would just draw and spend my hour drawing and then basically fail all the tests. It wasn't until the last sort of term of that uh, school, I think we finished when we were like 15, When I tried to explain to a teacher, I was struggling and she was just like, what do you mean? I said, well, I don't know, like a six is becoming a a nine and a two is like a five. And I'm not sure why she would sort of have little bricks and she would like 
teach me how to count on the bricks. But this was like half the year left in school. So I was on my way out and um, our version of GCSEs was coming up. I just failed really and didn't have enough points. We have point system in Sweden where you get points enough to go to the next, which is our version of college or high school. And I didn't have enough points. And so I left there completely just not ready for the world at age 15, not being able to read the clock, not being able to count, still counting on my fingers, still struggling and not understanding why, but leaving with a notion of this was a horrible place. I was racially abused. I was bullied very badly and I was branded as stupid. So what chance have I got in life? And then I got in on a spare place. You can get in on a spare place if you haven't got enough points. So I got into high school. And because I didn't have an option to go to dance school, I wanted to go to dance. I wanted to go to theatre. I liked doing dance and theatre, but I didn't have enough points. So there was not a chance that I could go to any of those schools. And so I got into pastry chef school. (laughs) Because obviously, (laughs) if you can't get into dance school, pastry chef is the next thing. (laughs) It's the next thing. And then the listener might go on pastry school. And it was purely because... I was asked, well, what do you like to do if you can't dance, if you can't do anything else, what do you like to do? And at, at 15 years old, you have no idea what you like to do, but I know I like cakes. I know I like cakes and I like eating cakes. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, well, you don't need a lot of points to get into this school. So I guess I'll just go and make some cakes for the next three years. Not realizing that for cake making, you need to understand measurements. Oh my goodness. Yes, it's all recipes. Oh my Lord. And recipes and all of that. And here we go again. Another three years of bullying, being badly treated by teachers and staff and getting recipes completely wrong and just getting just hounded for it not understanding why is this happening I must be really stupid because I can't even make a cake and it was not until I was 17 and I just happened to come across this news article I started reading about this girl that basically couldn't see numbers the same way as normal people could and she was describing all those things and I was like oh my god that's exactly like me. This girl is describing how I see the world. I read this word dyscalculia and never seen it before. I've heard of dyslexia before, but I never heard of dyscalculia. And I read about it and it's literally like a stone dropping from my from my chest going, oh my God, I have dyscalculia and this makes sense. And so I went straight to my dad and showed him the news article and said, look, look, like, I'm not stupid. There's a girl that is exactly like me. I'm not stupid. First, my dad was like, no, you're just being lazy. You know, this is just an, another excuse for not, you know, wanting to study hard enough. Da, 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 da. So it took a while to actually convince my parents, like, no, no, I, I honestly, I, I think this is what's wrong with me. And so after he's come on board, it was like, okay, so what, what are we going to do? So I said, well, I need help. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to graduate. I'm not going to graduate. I'm not going to get the hat and my diploma if I don't get help. 
And so he starts seeing the severities of going, okay, she needs to be able to graduate because if she doesn't graduate, she's not going to get work. She's not going to be able to survive in, in life. So he would then contact the school and the school was like, I've never heard of this thing. This is a made up word. And no, 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 this is a real world. This is a real condition. And they said, well, okay, then well, we're going to have to have a meeting about it. So they basically gathered all the teachers in the school, sat around a big table, me and my dad, and basically said, so what is your problem? And what do you want us to do about it? And so me, 17 years old, trying to explain that I read an article about a girl, I feel like the same way and I need help. And this is me, 17 year old, begging for help from a school establishment so that I can basically function as a normal person. Luckily, they decided, okay, well, we will give you a resource of a, t- of a teacher once a week and she will give you a computer program that's meant for kids, so teaching how kids learn maths. That completely just changed my world in terms of like, being a normal functioning adult I guess because this teacher finally stopped and listened to me and finally understood I can't learn from books that I'm a practical physical person and that I need to see physically what she's talking about and that completely changed and altered the way I learned because all my learning has been by books and people telling me stuff and so no one's actually physically showed me what to do. When she took me to the store and she told me, this is bananas and you weigh them like this. And this is how many bananas that makes this price. This is the money. This is how much money you need to give so that you get this back. No one had done that to me. And that was literally my last year in school. So I had like, I think maybe six months worth of actual real training. And then I was out. And luckily I did graduate. And, but that made me completely mistrust learning, teaching, school systems, anything to do with education. I had a severe hatred for it. Wouldn't want to do anything with it ever again and left that very quickly behind me. Yeah, we, we know, and you'll know this now, that dancers to be a dancer you just can't be lazy you can't be stupid it's a really complex thing and it demands amazing levels of application and dedication and hard hard work but at the time it just must have been so demoralizing to be told stupid lazy they say a word can cut deeper than any wound right It really did. Like, it really shaped my view of myself. It really shaped my outlook on what people saw of me. Math is seen as an intelligence tool. And if you know, if you're intelligent, it means you know maths, like science, doctors, astronauts. That's a clever thing. And if you don't know maths, you're basically stupid, right? Art is seen as lazy and stupid for because stupid people, right? And like you said, it's crazy how much we actually have to do to be good at art, right? Yeah, absolutely. And so this word carried through my life and it really, really stopped me from becoming the best I could be because society has branded me stupid at 10 years old. So 
that is all I fought on myself. It was the only thing that I thought I would be able to achieve, that I, I would only be able to achieve low, meaningless things in life because of education. And um, you mentioned that you had a end to dance and you really wanted to do that. So when had, had dance come into your life? So dance was always there. Like I, I was a three years old and I was moving around the house and imitating people and dancing. And, I, you know, I loved watching dance videos like Michael Jackson and stuff on TV. I loved it. And I would just practice it by myself. It was just something that was natural to me. But because I wasn't encouraged to dance, it was nothing I saw as something I could do and do. I remember my friend said, oh, I go to dance school. And I said, oh. Oh, you can like go to dance school. Like, what do you mean? It's just like, oh, like, why don't you just come with me to dance school? You can see. I lived on an island, so very isolated. And I went to school in town. And this friend went to, to dance school in town. So anything for me to go into town was exciting. So I would go with my friend to this dance school. And at that time, I've only seen hip hop on TV. I think I tried out a traditional Swedish dance before I did hip hop and it definitely was not my thing. <laughs> so I knew that that was not what I've seen on TV and I didn't like it. But then I went to this dance class and in front of me was this tall black man in baggy clothing and playing this music that I've heard on the radio and just the biggest smile and super welcoming and you know mind you now I've been bullied severely in school and racism on a daily basis going out of my house and in school that this black man that looked like me and was so smiling and welcoming and playing the music that I liked and moved in a way that I've seen on tv it was just like you know one of them like ha 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 like god <laughs> moment um, and I just realized oh my god that is what I've seen on tv I want to do that whatever that is I want to do that <laughs> and it clicked like that is what I want to do and it was interesting before I saw him I went to another dance class and uh, that teacher told me he basically took, put me in front of the class and he just went you're really bad you shouldn't come back because dancing is not for you you're offbeat and you're terrible and he said it in front of all of the students. And it was just like, oh, wow. People went and they asked me, like, how did you go back to dance class after that? But I think I was so used to people talking badly about me in school and outside school. I was so used to it. I was just like, well, it's just another person that, you know, is mean to me. So whatever. And so when I saw Damon, when I saw that dance teacher, it was literally, and he was so nice. And he was like, oh my God, like, you're, you're really good. Like, you should do this more. And it was such a change for me that I was like, how can I not come back? How can I not continue doing this for the, literally for the rest of my life? You know? I can't imagine what teacher would think it's a useful thing to say you're just really bad why is that how, how is that a helpful thing for yeah. a teacher to say 90s teacher where anything clearly went in the dance class <laughs> fast forwarding quite a lot because you've done a lot of teaching yourself as you said you wanted nothing to do with education and mm. and strangely enough your career has very much come full circle on that <laughs> and you've been really involved with the step into dance program that the mm -hmm. rad run which is an amazing 
program yeah. in London and Southeast England schools. Mm-hmm. And I wondered when you go into a class of young people and you look at them and you start to work with them, do you sometimes recognize your own younger self there? The reason why my career has actually been so long with dance is just because of that. After a while and never to work in education, I did turn into teaching because people said, you know, you're naturally really good at teaching other people. And I think it came from Damon, absolutely. I was modeling my teaching on Damon because he would see people that would struggle and he would find a way to connect with them, whether it was musically, rhythmically, counts clapping whatever he will find a way for you to get there seeing the way he taught made me realize actually I don't actually have to count I can just feel the beat and I can teach that way and then as an adult when I was teaching kids I will recognize myself in the class of kids that will struggle or people that were shy or people that were maybe aggressive because they felt embarrassed and I will find a way to reach those kids on a level that they will find a safe space because one thing I always thought about you don't know what their life is at home dance might be the only thing that is relief and the safe space for them. So don't ever turn away a kid and don't ever make a kid feel not wanted in the space. So that will be my main goal throughout teaching. And then that I think created an understanding of me as a teacher and how I teach. And it got me to work with kids from around the world. And I've taught for Step Into Dance and and very much thank to Sue Goodman who saw a young teacher that wanted to teach but maybe wasn't the best in formulating how she teaches or (laughs) (laughs) the best best way of saying like what I do. Sue Goodman really saw once again like Damon really saw the person behind the movement. She was an absolute force of nature wasn't she? She's literally I love her so much I love her and she till this day she we talk and you know we have you know she comes to my shows and she's super supportive of my work thanks to her like she she really said you know you're a good teacher you should keep going and I, you know, she believed in me in those early stages um, because she could see that I was passionate about how I taught and what I taught. And that's another thing. Like, I don't just go in and teach a class. I teach about the culture. I teach about the history. I teach about why you do what you do, because it's important to me, because many times a day we have teachers who just comes and teach you a routine, takes your money and leave. <laughs> and, you know, that's not what teaching is about. Teaching is about really bringing in a whole experience for kids to understand that it's just, it's deeper than this choreography. It's, it's, you know, there's a whole world out there that you can involve yourself in. And so the step into dance really was great because I can get those early kids that come out of school that might not know that they're a dancer or might have a really tough time in school and the dance class after school was their relief. So it really worked well for me in the sense of building my my teaching career up, for sure. And something that's just been coming through my mind all the way through this conversation, Yami, is that question of, what we value in education, what who we value, what skills we value. And that must be something that you've thought about time and again as your career has developed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I teach hip hop and 
hip hop only in the last couple of years have been accepted as a dance form in itself in the last couple of years it's got the respect that it's so well deserved and I remember when there was when I would say oh I teach hip hop it was like a frown or it was like oh gosh you guys and you know always talking bad about hip hop and knowing the stuff that I teach the history and the rich culture that we now is so keen to know about and so keen to put to the forefront I taught that 20 years ago and understanding that for women to respect women and to uplift women and to uplift young girls to be brave and to stand up for themselves and use their bodies to really find themselves and find their voices is something that I taught for years and still teach to this day and it's only because I've seen myself throughout my whole journey and I've seen what I needed when I was a kid. And I thought if I didn't have it when I was a kid, I'm I'm going to give it to someone now because that truly is what I'm here to do, to, to give what I didn't have to someone else. And as you say, I mean, it always was quite a blokey scene, the hip hop scene. Mm. Has that, is that changing, do you think? Is it now a space where, where girls and young women can feel very accepted and, and can express their creativity quite naturally? Yeah, I definitely think it has changed for the better, absolutely. Like now there's loads of girls doing hip hop, there's loads of girl groups, there's loads of women doing different types of what we would call hip hop forms. So there's absolutely a better space for women. However, the scene and the culture itself is is a very male dominated scene. It is a very patriarchal system. And so there's always going to be a, a struggle for women within the space. There's always going to be a struggle to support women and to make pe- women safe in the space. And that's something that we still is an uphill battle and that I once again work really hard to improve and there's groups that I um, operate with that work really hard to improve those spaces for young women to come into the spaces but it's definitely has changed for the better and I'm you know I'm definitely not the only woman on the dance floor anymore started off talking about the the battles and now you're making choreography you're making really witty sharp wonderful work I wondered (laughs) for you and I'm thinking about breakdance becoming an Olympic sport in the next Olympics uh, Mm -hmm. in 2024 for you is there a definite line between competition and creativity in dance I think people are still on the fence on this because, you know, skateboarding was an issue years ago and now it's in the Olympics and that went really well. I think breaking is a funny one. Everyone has their own opinion. I definitely feel that it's an creative art form and it's hard to, it's because it's not like gymnastics. There is definitely moves that everyone does and execute, but the beauty of dance and breaking and that is that it is individually free and it's free for interpretation 
in doing so in marking those things as an Olympic sport, I think it loses a little bit of the free spirit and the, the creativity in the individual. And it almost becomes very robotic and people are training to execute certain movements in to the highest level and not because of, for instance, the music or how they interpret the song. So I am not a fan of breaking B in the Olympics, to be honest with you. But I also understand it's a huge leap for that community. It creates great opportunities for young kids who wants to excel further. They might not want to go into teaching. They might not want to go into just performing or creating shows or anything like that. They might compete on a higher level. So, you know, I was almost becoming a snowboard um, competitor in Olympics in an early life of mine. Really? And oh, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, I competed and I practiced and I was basically given a choice to either become a dancer or a snowboard professional. So I know the levels that you have to really push yourself to be able to compete. So I think it's a great place for kids to practice and go for that. But at the same time, I do think the artistic side of it does diminish a little bit. But at the same time, there's space for both. You know, there's kids that's going to want to be creative about it and there's kids that's going to want to compete about it. Yeah, I mean, there is so much we could talk about and there's so much more <laughs> I want to ask you, but I must stop. Otherwise, <laughs> this will be the world's longest podcast. <laughs> but... but I have to ask one last question, which is, why is it that dance matters to you? When people say, if I didn't have this, I wouldn't be alive. And I honestly, I think I'm a walking evidence of that saying. There's so many things that could have gone wrong in my life. And there's so many things that, that has affected me enough to maybe not pursue things in my life. And I think the dance was the one lifeline, the one guiding light through everything for me. Following that light and following that that sound um, and the beats really almost saved my life. If I didn't have that, I just don't know where I will be today. I honestly think I wouldn't be the person I am today. I wouldn't have found my voice. I wouldn't have found a place where I can call myself a trailblazer for young kids I wouldn't have been able to teach at universities around the world I wouldn't have been able to do anything perform in front of thousands of people at the Olympics um I wouldn't have done any of it I would have just been a scared little kid believing that she was stupid and dance really saved my life and I think that's what matters to people and that's why we can never never say that dance is not important or it doesn't have a space in the world because you just don't know what it can do to to a young kid out there. It's so moving to hear Yami talk about the way dance scooped her up and gave her confidence. But it's sobering to think of all the children who might get written off at school and never find the thing that might release their passion and skill and sense of fulfilment. There are links to Yami's work and to the RAD's truly life-changing Step Into Dance programme in our show notes. Let me know if Yami's story resonated with you. I'm at Mr David Jays on Twitter and the RAD is at RAD Headquarters. As ever, please do subscribe and like the podcast so that you never miss an episode and it finds the audience that might enjoy it. Our guest today was Yami Rowdy Loffenberg, 
Why Dance Matters is made with the RAD team of Celia Moran, Melanie Murphy and Charlie Strachan. Our artwork is by Bex Glendinning and our producer is Sarah Rambunctious Miles. I'm David Scaredy Cat Jays. Take care. See you soon. <laughs>